The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch, and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator, Jamie Upps, and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week, I'm joined by a very special guest. This person is an instantly recognisable Australian television and film actress. This person was the first Aboriginal actress to win the Australian Film Institute Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role and has gone on to win four more AFI awards across film and television since then. She is best known for her roles in Rabbit Proof Fence, Brand New Day, The Sapphires, and now the ABC drama series Total Control. Before we throw it over to our interview with Deborah Mailman, let me first take the time to describe the show we're here to discuss today. Total Control is an ABC political drama series which follows Alex Irving, played by Deborah Mailman, an Indigenous woman who gets pulled into the high-stakes world of Australian politics. Season 3, which is about to debut on ABC TV on January 14th at 8.30pm, returns two years after the explosive events of Season 2, with outsider-turned-kingmaker Alex Irving feeling completely at home in the nation's capital. But what she's about to discover will test her like never before. Can Alex achieve the changes she's been fighting for, or will it cost her everything? Starring two titans of the Australian screen, Deborah Mailman, as previously mentioned, and Rachel Griffiths, ABC's prestigious and razor-sharp political drama, Total Control, makes its final return with more power plays, betrayals, and soul-searching from Sunday, January 14th at 8.30pm on ABC TV, or streaming on demand on ABC iView. So, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Today, we're here to chat to our guest about her journey with film, television, and the latest season of her ABC political drama series, Total Control. Welcome to the show, Deborah Mailman. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Good evening. I don't know what time we're meant to be, Jamie, but hi, everyone. <laughs> yeah, the, the joys of podcasting, anybody can listen to it at any time. That's right. <laughs> so before we sort of get into Total Control, the commentary booth is all about people's favourite movies and TV shows. So I just wanted to sort of get to know a little bit about your film and TV tastes. What would you say are your favourite shows and movies? Oh, my God. I mean, that's like choosing of a favourite child. Um, Oh, my God. Like, where do I begin? I don't know where. Like, when I was a kid, Astro Boy. Yep. That was my favourite. I've got this great sort of – I didn't really have the money to buy it, but I remember I was walking in Sydney one time down Surrey Hills and I was walking past this sort of record – sort of media shop like old school and at the front it had an amazing tin box of Astro Boy like all the episodes oh, nice. it was like money that I didn't have and so I kept walking past the window and I'm like I just I have to get it so yeah somehow I found the money probably didn't eat for the next two days but <laughs> Astro Boy I think was <laughs> was probably one of those shows that really defined a lot of my childhood and monkey and all that you know the goodies like that's the sort of era I sort of grew up in um but Astro Boy I would absolutely race home after school and just you know 
this is like event television where, you know, you, you couldn't binge or, you know, stream anything. It was just, you know, turn on the television. And I think we only had two channels back in Mount Isa where I grew up. So it was the ABC and a mix of commercial television. So the ABC was very much my childhood and a lot of shows from the ABC. But Astro Boy, probably one of them. <laughs> um, and Voltron. Good choices. Um, what do I like now? Yeah, I'm trying to think what I'm watching now. Like, oh god. Yeah, it's. I think it's probably harder now because there are so many options on what to. Watch. There's too many. Yeah, there's so many. Like, I don't know where to start. Like, you know, that golden age of television where you know Breaking Bad and you know Sopranos. I mean, Breaking Bad was like one of the best TV shows I watched at the time. Now, you know, there's things like Yellowstone, which I love. <laughs> I love a lot of what Taylor Sheridan sort of creates in his shows. But then I love stupid stuff too. Like I love Deadlock. That's such a great Australian show. And then I love reality television. (laughs) Okay. Have you watched the Squid Game reality show yet? That I haven't, but I haven't even watched the actual show. So I'm probably the last person on, the only person on earth that actually hasn't watched it. (laughs) But yeah, no, I'll get there eventually. But uh, I don't know, like, but also... I love old school. I like SVU, Law and Order. They're, they're always good ones to just throw on of an evening and kind of wind down. Sometimes I need my team. I need Stabler and Benson. I just need to watch them solve, solve shit. <laughs> yep. So that's, yeah, I don't know. Like that, I'm random. I'm, I don't have one particular. It's very similar to my music choice, actually. Like I don't, I don't. I don't really have a, a genre that I'm absolutely in love with. I just, yeah, it's all very random and diverse. No, that's that's very similar to me. I watch I watch a bit of everything, and I think it yeah, it it probably looks a bit crazy when you look at our playlists. Yeah, I don't know if it gives you much of a picture of who I am, but I do love dagginess. Like I love silliness. I love stupidity. You know, I'll go on YouTube and I'll watch, you know, fails, you know, people who mm-hmm. just fail in life. <laughs> I love watching animals do stupid stuff. Like, I don't know. I like a good laugh sometimes. I love a good laugh. And so you mentioned growing up with ABC kind of being one of the main channels that you had at the time. As we sort of shift our focus to total control, did that sort of play a part in you wanting to be involved in this production for ABC? Oh, it was more to do with the fact that this was a Blackfella Films production and I've worked with a number of productions over the years with Blackfella Films and, you know, ABC literally has become our home for some of these productions. When we look at Redfern Now and Marbo, Total Control, they've all, you know, uh, landed on, on ABC it was more the story, more than anything. You know, I um, when I was tapped on the shoulder to sort of look at the idea of playing this woman who's, you know, she's a black female politician. And I just went, okay, that, that sounds amazing. Um, Rachel Griffiths, you know, it was her baby and she came to Blackfella Films. So, it, it, you know, everything just fell into the place in terms of the excitement of the project. And it's the sort of work that I, you know, I was in, you know, excited to do so it's great that we get something like abc because it allows us to do a show like abc where you can sort of take those risks in the in the stories that we tell yeah would you so before we get into it a bit further do you want to sort of give a rundown to our audience about what in your opinion the show is and what it's about a bit more broadly so total control follows the story of alex Irvin. she's uh she's dropped into parliament house as as, as a senator 
Um, she's the captain's pick, or as they say, the prime minister's pick. So she's very much coming from a community where she's been an advocate, um, but it's a community that's been forgotten about. And so she's been given the opportunity to make a change for her people and for her community. So she takes that opportunity, she's helicoptered into parliament, and then she understands that she has to play by the rules. And Alex is a person that doesn't really play by the rules. She's incredibly impatient and she wants things to happen pretty much straight away. Um, and so she's a, a politician who struggles with the idea of politics and being in, in, in you know, the, the parliament house. But over time, she understands the game that she has to play. And by the end of it, she plays it really well. In fact, she plays it better than most people that have been in Parliament House for some time. She pretty much throws a grenade into Parliament House, mm -hmm. figuratively and metaphorically. She just blows it up. She blows the system apart. She's underestimated every step of the way. So, you know, it's about a woman who's uncompromising, who's unapologetic, and who's ready to fight the fight in regards to making a difference in her world. Okay. And yeah, you mentioned this being about an Indigenous woman. Uh, did th that make this role like just speak to you immediately as soon as you read the script? Absolutely, because it just it gives it a really unique point of view as a, as a story and as a narrative. Because um, you know, first you know, let's look at um, the scrutiny that female politicians have anyway. Let's add black to that, mm -hmm. <laughs> a black female politician, and you know, and let's throw that up and just see you know, what, what those sort of challenges and those stakes are for a character like Alex. It just, it actually is quite an exciting sort of premise to begin with because then, you know, we haven't really done this or really explored this on television before. So it was quite new as a show, quite new in the premise, and it meant that the writers can really go anywhere and imagine anything in regards to, you know, let's look at politics in Australia and let's see what, how someone like Alex can actually fit into that or can't she fit into it so it's a nice sort of interrogation and exploration of that and then i guess particularly too with alex and one of the other characters prime minister damien bauer being also indigenous having those characters in such prominent positions in the government too i think gave this a unique perspective as well yeah um sorry jamie i have to say so damien bauer's the opposition so it's paul murphy who actually uh, ends yep. up being no no that's okay i just thought just My mistake. no no it's fine just so people don't um know or haven't seen the show yet so paul murphy who's played by the the amazing wayne blair indigenous actor so in our show we um we have australia's very first indigenous prime minister so that's becomes one of the first premises of season one to season two trying to get you know black voices heard in parliament and also actually be decision makers as well you know powerful decision makers within parliament yeah absolutely it was important to me because she reflects the or she embodies she reflects the i guess the issues that are important to us as mob you know particularly in communities the youth social justice service is, is quite a key storyline throughout the seasons and for alex so that's really uh, really really big and important sort of um reality that a lot of us mob are faced with also i guess one of the other premises that we were sort of looking at is like how do we make this sexy how do you make politics sexy? How do you make a black woman sexy? You know, that was also the other exciting part to putting this all together. It's like, you know, we don't want it to be boring. We don't want it to be just run-of-the-mill sort of another television show. We wanted to add a little bit of spunk to it. And I think, you know, 
I love that the, the writers really had that in mind. Now let's let's just you know let's we've only get one chance at this, so let's try and you know raise the stakes and let's make a, a really interesting character. And is there a hope that through the representation in the show that it might inspire younger Indigenous people to look at politics as a career path or? something that they could get involved in? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I actually had the really lovely experience of meeting a young fella who told me um, personally that because of total control, he's now considering a, a career in politics, which is fantastic. So, you know, I hope there are many of those stories that, you know, that that, um, that we can tell as a production that, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's good that a show can inspire people to sort of consider what life choices they want to make. And then some of the other themes that I picked up on were obviously obviously the racism element and the political infighting, which I, I love sort of politics. So the political infighting was always something I was really interested in. Social justice, as you mentioned, and environment and climate change looks to be a pretty mm. big topic in particularly the, the start of season three. Did, did I miss any others? No, well, no, it's, it's a really great um, that you sort of say that in regards to season three because season three starts pretty much 18 months, two years later from season two. So I think the writers really wanted to actually remind people what's happened in the last few years. Oh, that's right, we had a pandemic, we had bushfires, we had floods. Um, so it was just great to sort of place, place that into the minds of audience, just going, yeah, a hell of a lot has, has happened. And so... Alex, we start with Alex being back in a home sort of area of Queensland, which is a flood zone. Um, it's a crisis. Towns are being, uh, um, you know, some towns are blocked off. There's no supplies getting in. You know, it's a real dire strait sort of situation. So that's sort of where we begin season three. It really is actually acknowledging what we're seeing in real life you know, what these sort of lived experiences are and these sort of what this devastation does to people, particularly out in the country where, you know, um, those sort of natural disasters are, are catastrophic. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting part of these opening two episodes for season three. It is very timely, very relevant to what's happening around us now. Mm. A couple of the things that I really picked up on were a reference to a Hawaiian holiday mid-crisis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a nice little cheeky little little sort of mm, without naming anything without actually putting it out i think there's a nice little cheeky reference there yes and then the the rise of the so-called teal independence as well yeah does that sort of come through the script like is that all written into the script or does that come through some sort of improvisations on the day no, no, that's absolutely the writers. You know, the writers sit in a room well before I even get the scripts, you know, that they're there for months on end, weeks on end, months on end, nutting it out and just sort of going, well, let's look at our democracy and let's interrogate that and let's see what what are the possible outcomes if we did A, B, C and D. So Rachel Griffiths, um, who plays uh, Rachel Anderson in the show, this is her baby, this is her... Um, this is her idea that she brought to Blackfella Films and Rach is such a political junkie. She loves politics. And so she put her brain to this and wanted to sort of explore a show that, yes, looked at, looked at our um, democratic system and wanted to look at it from a female perspective and from a female politician's point of view. And just sort of it's interesting because I think season two came out prior to the one of the elections where the teal independence actually 
created the balance of power in Parliament. So we had already written that mm-hmm. in the script before that actually happened in real life. So I don't know. I think that's just the brains of the writers and Rach Griffiths and the producers. You know, we again, it's like what's interesting about politics? What can we say? You know, what you know, like you were saying, all that sort of backstabbing, the sort of the corridor conversations, the conversations that happen in the back rooms, like there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes than what actually people see. And that's sort of the premise of the show is and then you get someone like Alex, who's a complete novice, come into that establishment and that institution and trying to figure out how she can make a difference in that world. So that's really where we are in, in all the sort of seasons. And finding these two women in particular, how they navigate that sort of world of having to compromise, always being constantly scrutinised, um, always being second-guessed, always being underestimated and just trying to power through all that sort of negativity to get to a point where they actually do have control of their um, of this situation. So then in terms of your portrayal of Alex, I thought you brought a real authenticity to the character as well. Thank you. How much sort of influence did you have over the formulation of how you presented the character? Oh, look, I didn't. I wasn't in the writer's room, um, even though, uh, you know, the, the door was always open. Season one, I had the absolute honour and privilege of having Judy Davis, the actor, Judy Davis being my mentor for the first part of it. She helped me sit down with the initial scripts in season one. I went to her place and we sat down for about a week and we went through everything and she really helped me sort of start defining who Alex is as a character. And this is well before all the episodes were written. So we were just looking at her as a a bit of skin and bones character. And then over time, you know, I was able to flesh that out through the dialogue, you know, through um, what the writers were writing. So I just sort of went with what they wrote, to be honest, and sort of then tried to make it my own and just sort of trust my process as an actor, try and find the most interesting sort of choices I could make, listen to my fellow actors and listen to my director. So, so that's sort of the pro- what the process is generally when, when, am I, when I sort of work. And with this sort of being so politically inspired, did you look to any particular politicians for inspiration on how to craft Alex as well? No, no, I made it a, it was a deliberate choice not to actually look at anyone. I really wanted to create Alex away from any politician that we know. I wanted to build her from the scratch, from ground up, and just actually build her from the script that was given to me. I didn't look to inspiration. I didn't look to anyone. I just wanted to create Alex in her own silo, in her own private space. I wasn't influenced by anyone, and I didn't want her to sort of be reminiscent of anyone. Yeah, I guess that makes sense with her coming in as like a total novice in the space as well. You wanted to have that sort of vibe in the portrayal. Yeah. And look, I, you know, I can't speak to how the writers, what their process was, but I certainly for me, I sort of really kept a really sort of, yeah, a clean, clear sort of world for Alex. You don't want to be watching politics and like question time and picking up strange mannerisms that somebody that might not be in politics would have. <laughs> No, because, you know, I think definitely for season one, I didn't want her to be that. I didn't. I wanted her to be unknown. I wanted her to not know the process. I wanted her to be completely out of a depth and then build her from that. And then, yeah, one of the last points I wanted to speak to was I got to be an extra on episode one of season three, which was amazing for me. What, 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 what scene was it? Where did, what happened? What, tell me, Jamie, tell me. <laughs> Uh, I was I was in this grocery store scene with Alex's son Eddie, 
played by Wesley Patton. Yeah. I'm in the I'm in the background shopping when he has the confrontation with the security guard. Oh okay. That's that's episode one, did you say? Yeah. Yep. So that was that was really fun. I was gonna ask, how was that an experience? It was good? Oh, it was amazing. Oh good. But what it really did for me was increase my appreciation for film and TV production in terms of just how much work goes into these shows because that scene I think in the episode is maybe two, two and a half minutes. Yep. And that was like five or six hours of shooting. So yeah, it made me realize how ridiculous these productions are and sort of how long have you been involved in this show in the grand scheme of things? Total control. Uh, I mean, like I'm trying to remember when first season came out. Like, So we, we film roughly, a season roughly takes what about, three months to film there there thereabouts and then prior to that we might get a few weeks of what we call pre-production so that's sitting down doing a table read of the scripts costume makeup fittings and stuff and then once the cameras roll where you're looking at around 12 to 13 weeks and then you get post-production so anything that's missing you sort of come back and you try and fix anything particularly with sound mm-hmm. so all up you know one season's about four something months so that's you know, we did over three seasons. You know, that's that's a long time <laughs> to be associated with this show. But, yeah, I mean, the great thing about that, though, is we become family because we had the pleasure of a lot of the crew returning as well as, as the cast. So it becomes a nice family feeling when you sort of have that opportunity to, to have, a sh- you know, have so many seasons. How do you find that whole process now after having sort of 20 years of experience under your belt going into these potentially long shoot days and maybe only getting two or three scenes in in a day? Oh, look, it's, I love it. It's exciting. It's no day is ever the same, which I love about this. You know, the days are long. You know, we could be waking up crack of dawn like incredibly early to sit in the makeup chair. Yeah, it can be a little bit of waiting around. Sometimes the schedule changes in a heartbeat. So you've got to, you know, be on your toes around that. But I wouldn't change it for anything. That's what I love about it. It really keeps me on the toes. I get the chance to go to places that I would normally never go to in regards to filming and locations. I get to meet with great people. I get to meet with like-minded people. We get to work in communities where people are excited by having, you know, a film crew there. You know, I get to tell stories that, you know, mean something to me and that that I find really important. Yeah, and then, you know, sit back and see the result of all that. Uh, And I understand this is, is this the, the final season of Total Control as well? It is. It's the final season. I think there was always a sense, even at the beginning, that was only ever going to be three. So I really love that that's a confidence that the show has landed on. It's like, yep, we're going to do three and three only. And so let's try and do the best three seasons we possibly can and let's try and figure out what all these characters' journeys are going to look like over those three seasons. So I think it's really it's been great for the writers to know that there's an end that has that there's always going to be an end to it but it's also going to be bittersweet like I'm going to miss playing Alex I love her so much she's my favorite character she's one of the most I know she's absolute highlight in terms of roles that I've played she's sort of set the benchmark for me and I'm going to miss this show I'm going to miss her deeply but at the same time I'm really proud of what we've created over three seasons and I hope audiences really really enjoy this the final season yeah I think that's a great choice to clearly define, okay, we're going to do three seasons and you can actually wrap up the story because I think like a political drama could very quickly become kind of procedural and lose a lot of the heart and soul. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I think procedural is a great sort of way to describe like 
you don't, and we don't want that to happen. We don't want Australian drama, drama to be that, you know. We want it to be exciting. We want it to, you know, still be engaging. And, you know, yeah, we could take, you know, definitely could be more stories that we could tell. But I just really, really love that where we've landed. And I think it's really satisfying for the story and for the narrative. Yeah, so, you know, fingers crossed, you know, audience will really enjoy it as well. Brilliant. All righty. Thank you for joining me on the show this week. So I'm going to keep an eye out for you, Jamie, when episode one comes out. Uh, So yeah, why don't you sort of go ahead and let our audience know where they can track your creative journey and where they can support the show? Well, tune into ABC. I think um, uh, we are premiering Total Control, ABC, January... January 14th at 8.30. 8.30 on ABC. But prior to that, you can catch season one and season two on ABC iView with Total Control. Perfect. Alrighty, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, Jamie. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and YouTube. You can follow me on social media at Jamie Ups Media and at Pario Magazine. And one last time, you can watch Deborah and myself in the premiere of season three of Total Control on ABC on January 14th at 8:30 p.m. or on demand by ABC iView. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Apps.